0: If you want to love- Money, money, money.
1: This is Money Biz 101 and Money on Brave New Money. Oh, I'm your Professor David Kirk Philp, along with you, Dr. Esteban Marconi.
0: Hey, we're talking about the money man, the money man. I, where have I gone? Where did you eat the, today? I, I, I ate. With my wife, and, and I had some
1: uh, chicken. Oh, at Nirvana? Very good Indian restaurant. Yes, my favorite band. In is, yes. yes, very nice.
0: Yes. Is, oh, it's very good. That's That started. Well, so let it begin. Music Biz 101 to More Bravery Radio. Yeah. Here really we are. The University of William Patterson. I'm your professor, David Kirk We already said that's Dr. Stavon. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. We have a uh, ex- extra special German engineer, Ashley Veltner. She's behind the non-existent glass. Hello, Ashley Veltner. Good Yes, 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 yes. Very good. And we're accepting your tweets today at musicbiz One Hundred One WP. As long as you can also find us on the Instagram on the Fetch a Book. Follow us, musicbiz One Hundred One wpcom We got that weekly newsletter that goes out twice a week, weekly, twice a week. So that's it's not bi-weekly. It's twice within a week. What would that be?
1: twice within a week twice.
0: <laughs> and that's what we do we promise and we succeed here and music bears going on anymore this is going to be a podcast and most of you are listening to the podcast it's going to be on iTunes, SoundCloud and the Spotify machine mm-hmm. and we should start giving thanks so hands together eyes closed heads bowed thanks to the folks at Van on Bruto Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like 3 Doors Down, Dave Matthews, Saint Vincenzo and Keith there's only one place to go for your band's business management go to VB CPA.com when you're ready. Oh, and we should also give thanks to Christine. the They Wealth, manager and president of... Oy. They Wealth Management. Christine has helped so many professionals at the University of William Patterson manage their investments, plan for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on that, to plan for your retirement. Who do I sound like when I talk like that? If you're looking for... Do I sound like Ted Baxter from um, no, Mary Tyler Moore Show? Not even a little. Right. And all the young listeners are going, oh, wow, that was so cool. That was a... Uh, Mary you know, Tyler Moore, yeah, really. Yeah. Go back to your Dick Van Dyke, boys and girls. If you're looking for guidance on how to plan up your retirement, if you have questions on anything from investments to portfolio management or your insurance retirement plan, give Christine a call at Ashley, please repeat after me as you turn on the microphone. 732-455-1510. Anybody, anybody can email her. Christine at theywealth.com for advisement. Leave the last oil off for savings. And that's what all of us should always do. Yes. Managing Your Band 6 edition has been out for 27 years. Mm-hmm. It's as good and as counting. now. Yes. Still very good. Most of our editions are now draped in gold. So you should be aware of that for the collectors out there. University of Wayne Patterson is ranked one of the best music business programs. By whom? By Billboard the magazine. Oh. In all the world. Mm-hmm. In all the world. Not just the United States. All the world. And we are in season five and a half of Mm -hmm. Music News 101 and More. And we have an incredible guest with us tonight. His name is Jonathan Shank. Have you met him? We conversed via electronic mail. He sent me an email. I will tell you. The answer is no. No. We have have communicated. Right. And Jonathan sent, uh, because our friend uh, Steine, Dan Steinberg, gave us an email introduction. Dan sent out the email this morning at 1:03 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's a standard in the east that time. Jonathan replied still at one Daylight
1: Savings Time right now.
0: Yes, it's still it's sunny forever. <laughs> Jonathan replied at 1:42 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will find out in a moment if we pull Jonathan up. Jonathan, are you there?
2: Hey, hey. Lots of good energy here.
0: We're we're giving it all to you, my friend. Yes. Where are you based? You are you so much. are you based on Los Angeles or are you based in Nueva York? Uh,
2: no, I'm I'm here in in Los Angeles. Okay,
0: so 1:42 okay. a.m. minus three is ten, ten, eleven, twelve, one. Okay, so you emailed me at 10:42 your time last night.
1: <laughs> your time,
0: correct? Your, the yep. time that you own. Yes. Thank you. It was a great email. Thank you so much.
2: Of course. No, I'm, I've been looking forward to this, and uh, I'm I'm super grateful to to you guys and to William Patterson for supporting the, the music business and, and, you know, kind of helping people along their path.
0: Well, Great. Right. Thank be, you. Be, before we start, just one quick question, because we were connected. I, I, I know of you because you were on Promoter 101 uh, maybe two years ago, yeah. maybe 2017. And I've yep. actually listened to that interview a couple times before even uh, connected with you live. But you were connected with us by uh, Andrea Evanson at Shorefire Media. And I'm, I'm curious why you have that relationship and, and what I guess the goal is, because some people in your shoes as, as an artist manager, for example, um, they don't like to be interviewed. They don't want to get in front of the artist. And then we were actually talking about this in a class the other day. And then obviously others, whether it's you, Scooter Braun, others don't mind giving interviews and being out there. So um, what is uh, your strategic goal, I guess, with Shorefire Media and Andrea Evanson?
2: Well, ultimately, you know, look, you know, Shorefire has been an amazing, you know, partner of ours for many, many years, and they uh, all represent um, our Disney Junior properties and do all of the press for for that, as well as um, some of our other music clients like uh, uh, Scary Pool Party and Alan Stone and, and, and many other, you know, great uh, um, productions and artists that we worked on together. So, um, you know, Red Light and Shorefire have been an amazing synergistic relationship. And as for my own interest, I've, you know, spent um, a lot of time over the past uh, decade or so mentoring various folks. I mean, everybody needs a path. When I came to LA, you know, I needed somebody to, to, to show me the way. And, and I didn't have a tremendous amount of resources or connections. And so largely we relied on on people to show us the way, and experienced folks, and 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 people that understood the landscape and how to how to move the ball forward. So, you know, I was incredibly reliant reliance on that when I moved to Los Angeles 22 years ago, and and so I feel it's really important to pay that forward. And you know, so I host interns here at Red Light. I've twice uh, done the UCLA uh, music business. Um, class and gone there and actually graded their finals. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. And
2: so, you know, I've done a lot of, um, you know, uh, mentoring type work, and, and I still really have a lot of respect for the people that, that you know, showed me the way and, and helped me uh, carve out a path in this in this crazy business.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's cool that you do that because I was speaking with a class yesterday uh, about social media and specifically about LinkedIn and I was saying you guys are in a great position as students because you can reach out to people through LinkedIn and for example you and I don't think you're on LinkedIn are you
2: I actually don't do any social media yeah, okay. at all
0: okay um, for example let's say it was you though let's say you were on LinkedIn and a student could conceivably reach out to you and say I'm just looking to pick your brain just looking for whether it's a mentor or just somebody to talk to about the business could I buy you a cup of coffee for 15 minutes before you go to work one day And um, yeah, it's great that you're one of those people who uh, we can reach out to in our dreams on LinkedIn.
2: I I do engage in those conversations and and and, yeah, really enjoy it and you know hope to be able to bring some positivity to somebody else's world.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, so we're going to back up a little bit. Now and okay. uh, so All you right. went,
2: here, here comes the test. Yeah,
1: so you luck. went from Pennsylvania to New Orleans and then while at mm. Tulane you actually meet one of your uh, if not your biggest mentor and Kim Fowley. Why don't we take it right there? How did you meet him and so on?
2: So uh this actually is really interesting, I think, for, for, for this particular uh, uh, show and podcast and, and for students because at the time you guys you know actually have students have a lot more opportunity now than they did 25 years ago. Sure. Uh, 25 years ago there, there was no music business program at Belmont or William Patterson or, or anywhere so mm-hmm. you had to find your way and, and at Tulane the only music program was playing jazz mm-hmm. and, um, and, and so I had gone uh, I, I didn't play jazz Um, And so or an instrument. So I'd gone to the head of the music department and I begged for credit for an internship, which was a major exception at that time, because that didn't really exist. Somebody trying to, um, you know, do a business uh, oriented internship through college. So anyhow, I I had um, sought out this this music law firm in New Orleans because there wasn't a ton of of opportunities there either within the industry at that moment. And there was a law firm, and I went down there for a quick interview, and they said, you know, it's great, you sound great, but actually you probably want to work for this guy. And they introduced me to Kim. And Kim had just moved to New Orleans to start a small indie record label called St. Rock Records. Mm. And, um, and he had just uh, wanted to, you know, get away from the scene and, and uh, was settling into, um, you know, a new, new um, role in his career. And so I interned for Kim, and, and he was just incredibly supportive of, you know, uh, me being, you know, part of his world and just kind of showing me um, how to interact with other people in, you know, in the industry and how not to interact. You know, I think I, I learned from him both what to do and, and what not to do. You know? mm-hmm. um, and I think that uh, um, most importantly, he just, always gave me that positive encouragement. And, and I think I've told this story maybe before, but, you know, at the time, obviously there wasn't, there wasn't email, you know, proper email, et cetera. So he actually took a handful of business cards and wrote, of his business cards and wrote on the back of him, hire this guy and hmm. sent me out to LA with those business cards. That's great. <laughs> and, you know, had told me when I was going in for A&R interviews to, to, to hand them the card. And, uh-huh. um, I don't know if I ever actually did that, but, um, but just the sheer encouragement was enough to push me along.
1: So he was there to—he um, was signing local acts, um, local acts, Cajun yeah. acts. Yeah, absolutely. Was he signing? Yeah. No,
2: he, blues he acts. Was signing, he, there was four. See, this is a real test. There was four artists on the on the on the label at the time. Uh, one of them was like a punk girl group, kind of like Young Runaways, uh, local to New Orleans. I think they were called Virago. And there was a couple of others. That that was the most prominent at the time. But a lot of Kim's time was spent uh, chasing publishing and and uh, you know licensing and syncs and and managing his catalog, which included uh, included everything from Frank Zappa to John Lennon.
1: Mm Hmm. So were they uh, were there opportunities in New Orleans that just hadn't been tapped?
2: Uh, there was certainly a whole landscape of things that were about to happen in, in, you know, in New Orleans in terms of the development of the late night jazz fest scene and 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 ultimately, you know, the series that that Superfly developed that that became the footprint for a lot of the late night shows around the country at festivals, et cetera. Um, and a lot of that energy was starting to, you know, starting to mount there in terms of with with Kim specifically. We really you know it was really about maintaining a lot of what he had going on, but for me, it was a whole new frontier because I was listening you know a speakerphone was his best friend, so you know I was, mm-hmm. I was part of every every conversation, whether it was with an artist, a publisher, a manager, an attorney, or an agent so um, or a family member for that matter so mm-hmm. um, it, it it really was an open book, and I think that was really what I took most from it was just the the volume of information,
1: and from there you went to House of Blues.
2: Um, actually, I worked. I worked at House of Blues first prior mm. to prior to Kim. Um, I don't think I got any credit for that one. Um, <laughs> but but um, I, my job it was when House of Blues first opened, and it was the second House of Blues in the country. Uh, it was really the first bigger House of Blues because the first one was in Boston. It was only two hundred and twenty-five capacity, mm-hmm. and so this one was a bigger room. And when they opened the room, the first, like, week was, like, Aerosmith, Clapton, Dylan, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Allman Brothers, Blues Trail. I mean, it was just Nine Inch Nails. I mean, it was just a huge lineup. And, and I I just showed up there, and I said, you know, you guys need help. And they said, oh, yeah, we just opened the doors, you know, so we could use some help. And the help they needed, though, was uh at first i was hanging up uh flyers and posters in the bathrooms mm-hmm. and so that was a that was a pretty glamorous mm-hmm. job and then um from there you know i started i was like helping the marketing manager organizing bios and stuff but uh, again it was just a, a good experience just you learn things by osmosis i mean i think that that's that's one of the lessons that that i think comes through is just you know if you're proactive and you're a self-starter and and you absorb things then you make the most of every opportunity.
1: Yeah. So how did you get into when you're
2: hanging things in the bathroom?
1: (laughs) So how did you get interested in, um, in producing the, um, the children's line? Well, um, I mean, were you interested in it or did it fall in your lap? So to speak,
2: no, you know, I think that, um, I I was really interested in, in figuring out, um, a model of producing live entertainment and of producing branded entertainment, and um, when uh, Yo Gabba Gabba came along, mm. I had really wanted to produce that show and, um, uh, and and didn't have any experience at that at that moment. Um, Did your but friends I laugh at you? You know, I knew that I that I <laughs> had the idea and and kind of the passion to do it. And I did, you know, because at the time I worked at Frontline, um, you know, and, and I was able to get some people behind it. Although it, it certainly wasn't a priority there, because it was such a left of center idea and, and property. Um, and I did get it. In fr- I did get in front of the creators of the show and, and, and you know, push, you know, push my uh, ideas, you know, pretty far along. A lot of them, uh, you know, in some ways were, were probably uh, considered, but ultimately we didn't get the the tour, we didn't get the business, but what we did get or what I did what I what I got was the basis of the model for what now exists today as our you know, as our production model. And a lot of those principles that, that you know, I wrote down and, and the basics of the model were created back in two thousand nine, you know, when we first uh, looked at that yoga. And so that was the even though we didn't get the business, it really led to an amazing, amazing thing. And so after that, that happened, I figured, you know what? Okay. I didn't get it, but just put it in my back pocket. I said, and I knew that there was going to be another one that would come around. And, um, in the meantime, I had transitioned from frontline to red light and, um, uh, Corin was very supportive of moving into the space and, um, so, you know, when, when Fresh Beat Band came along from Nickelodeon, it was, um, again, you know, I knew that, that uh, we had the model in place, so it was something that I was passionate about and, and thought would be successful. I didn't know that we would go on to sell almost 700,000 tickets, but I knew that it was going to be, um, you know, a lot of fun and, um, and, and a great model, great business model
0: explain then explain what cuz you also used the word used the word principles in there so what was it that you were doing different and what made up what made up the model that made it so successful and you can get um, re- you can get really specific too cuz that's what the, the yeah. show is so you don't have to be general you can really go deep it well, in your I, story. I
2: think you know th- the model was a lot of the principles of the model came from the fact that the PT Barnum model of family entertainment had had gone away or was starting to was starting to fade away and a lot of those um, shows the ticket prices were really starting to decline and the attendance was declining and etc and so what I noticed was that there was a tremendous amount of theaters that had recently been restored and reopened and you know and also needing content and so you know, the ability to move those shows or or the idea of those shows from an arena to a theater made it a much more palatable experience for the family, for the children, for the parents, for the vendors, and um, and also just made it a much more realistic business model in terms of being able to serve up um, 100 shows or 150 shows at a time. And so... A lot of the principles were were based on that and the fact that the kid, the child, would have a much more uh, enjoyable experience being that much closer to the stage and closer to the action and, you know, and being able to interact with their favorite characters as opposed to being in a chilly arena and, you know, two flights up and, and 50 yards away. And so what we discovered is that um, not only did the theaters need additional content, meaning, you know, shows, but that everybody enjoyed the experience that much more and that there was a real hole in the marketplace for delivering this kind of entertainment into theaters.
0: Hmm. So, so um, go smaller, go from arenas to theaters, which makes it more intimate. Does that affect the, uh, there's a gross potential. So are you then raising ticket prices to sort of make up for the revenue difference?
2: We're well, actually not. No, mm-hmm. I mean, we we, we operate at our, our top ticket for these shows usually is around $50. And, you, you know, you don't want to raise the tickets that much higher because you have to remember everybody has to buy more than one ticket, mm-hmm. you know, for the family. So, um, you know, our model is is largely based on, on multiple shows and doing, you know, six to eight shows a week and, you know, doing a, a tremendous VIP and merchandise business and, and streamlining the, the production, um, you know, in a way that's really uh, first class and, and interactive for, for the audience, but not overkill.
0: From a merch perspective, because I was just as you mentioned merch, I was typing down to ask you about merch. So what were you doing differently from a merch perspective? Was it different designs? Was it uh, a different way to sell the merch? And uh, how how was that different Um, from what was the previous models of other? I
2: don't don't know that we were shifting the model on merch so much as just continuing to figure out, uh, you know, the right items that that. people were interested in I mean, certainly it's different for artists than it is for for some of these productions and you know within a lot of these family entertainment productions the you know the light up and the plush are you know kind of dominate a majority of the market share
0: and in terms of a uh, for your model promotion was it let's go with Live Nation and therefore we'll use Ticketmaster, or was it you can do this on your own and use Eventbrite? You know, what were you thinking in that regard?
2: Um, That's a great question. The, the idea has always been to keep an open mind and be able to work with the best people in each market. Uh, That being said, Ticketmaster certainly has a bit of an advantage because they have one of the biggest family entertainment databases in the world. So, so, you know, they, they do have, you know, an element of um, of marketing that they can bring that the other uh, ticketing um, companies can't exactly provide, at least not yet. So, um, but that being said, we're, we're certainly, you know, not beholden to, to any of that and just try to go with the best building and the best – um, promoter in the market, because there's certainly one or two people within each market that are passionate about these kinds of shows. That's who we want to be with.
0: And so let's say, and, I, and a lot of this is sort of the rock and roll model, I think you had said at one point, too, sort of, you know, Peppa Pig, the, the content is children's, but the, I guess sort of the model is closer to a rock show. With a rock show, you would have things like streaming, and you would get some analytics, and it would help you determine, where am I going to play? You don't have that sort of content. Are you using the network to tell you the ratings are really strong in the Midwest or in Montana and North and South Dakota? Or how how are you determining at at the outset? Um, At this point, you've got some experience, but at the outset, how are you determining where you're going to uh, go with this?
2: You actually took my answer by by saying that because I was going to go with the experience uh, uh, um, answer. But <laughs> you know, at the at the at the outset, I think that um, we did largely route these as if they were theater tours for for an artist, the same way that we would would do that. And you know, trying to keep the routing tight, etc. I would say now the the only difference that I would say now is that I could you know, list off the top family entertainment markets for you. And, and they're, you know, um, they're pretty consistent uh, show over show. So, you know, we know where the best places are to produce these kinds of shows.
0: Final question for me for this, mm-hmm. and then I keep dominating. I apologize, no, that's Dr. Okay. Um Are you now you're working with Red Light and you're a manager, but also in this case you are the a producer or the producer of the show. When we're talking yeah, executive about. Executive producer. Executive yeah. producer. When we're talking about routing these shows, are you working with an agency or you don't need an agent or an agency and you can deal directly with Live Nation because you're the producer?
2: Yeah, no. So a lot, I'm, I'm, I work uh, generally with um, CAA and um, Mario Torado at CAA has done an incredible job of you know really understanding this model and he's one of the few people that uh... you could call on the phone and say let's book you know hundred and twenty shows um, on on um, you know peppa pig or or Beat band and 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 he's able to deliver that um, he is just a um, you know a rock star agent and understands how to um, not just route these tours but you know, how to, how to make them sustainable, but, uh, yeah, they, they've been, um, CAA's been an amazing, uh, partner on, you know, a lot of these tours.
1: Great. And now your, your, uh, relationship with Mickey Hart, and I like the, uh, that little phrase in your bio, from Mickey Hart to Mickey Mouse, uh, which, my very...
2: friend, my friend told me that one time when I was, <laughs> that's true. We
1: were... <clears throat> yeah. But, uh, uh so you were working with Mickey Hart first.
2: Uh, I well, he wasn't the first, he wasn't the first artist that I ever worked with, but he wa You know, I worked with him for four or five years, starting in the end of two thousand four through about two
1: thousand nine. Mm-hmm. And Paul Cantner yep. too.
2: Cantner, I worked with early, earlier than that in the in the nineties. Yeah, and 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 he was also. Um, such a character you know i would uh, again he was one of the first people that i knew that loved to email every day you know really long, long-winded emails too <laughs> and um he would always you know say things in his emails like paul to jonathan you know as if he was in like a spaceship like as if he was in the starship you know <laughs> <All right. laughs> and, and um i mean he definitely truly embodied that that spirit and um you know, I'm definitely grateful for you know my um, experience being around Cantner and and uh,
1: yeah. What all guys, what I'm sort of getting at is the the transition to the children
2: family entertainment to
1: the family entertainment. Oh goodness! From that,
2: yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's funny. I think the short answer is is that I've always seen myself as somebody who doesn't want to be pegged into one one place. And so mm-hmm. I've I've tried really to to um, you know have a lot of buckets to be able to to fill at the same time. And and you know when I first started uh, working, I was working with a lot of you know classic rock. I was working with um, Jefferson Starship and Robbie Krieger and John Densmore from the Doors and Dave Davies from the Kinks and Dave Mason and Capaldi and. You know all of these amazing guys, Marshall Tucker Band, I was representing, and I was 22 or 23 years old, and everybody was calling me the classic rock guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was thinking, and I was thinking in my head, like, man, I think you know I got to get out of this, you know. And and and, um, and not that it was it was an amazing experience, and you know, I mean, I booked Marshall Tucker at the Super Bowl, and you know, but I was only maybe 22 years old, so you know, having people like. John Kay from Steppenwolf and and mm-hmm. Doug Gray from Marshall Tucker and and you know um, uh, Dicky Betts from the Almond Brothers and Robbie Krieger giving me encouragement was like unbelievable because it really made me feel like I could see this through, but it also made me feel like that there was a glass ceiling and that I wanted to to push through. So you know my my next frontier after that was I had um, a, a job. Doing day-to-day management for for War and Isaac Hayes and um, a boy band called LFO, and the LFO was the first time I ever really worked with pop, with pop music, and um, they had been on the they were on the Britney Spears tour when I managed them, so that was really my first, you know, toe in the water in terms of anything outside of classic rock. And, and at the time that I was working with Isaac Hayes, he was we did the deal for Chef with South Park, and that was actually the first. Uh, um, platinum record I ever had on my wall. And um, so that was, you know, a, a kind of toe in the water into the family, you know, a, a, a glimpse, I would say, into the family space. And, you know, I think from there, um, shortly after that, I got into the jam band world and flipped the switch again and, and, and you know, started managing this electronic funk band named Particle and, and in some ways started doing that as a hobby. Uh, but they were an incredibly... Um, energetic band with a really unique sound at that moment and we caught lightning in a bottle and that was kind of my first opportunity to spread my wings a little bit and just throw in random ideas because they didn't have a singer so I just, you know, we could do all kinds they were just open to all kinds of collaborations and special guests and people from all genres and it was just, um, I mean, we just went for it they were on Coachella and Bonnaroo and, you know, we took the ride um, you know, for, for, for a while and Particle is, is what led me to, to Mickey Hart. Um, you know, one day, um, Jared Paul and I were having lunch and we decided that we wanted to make a super group with Particle and Mickey Hart. And, um, I kind of thought it was cool that I was just going to get a meeting with Mickey Hart, you know? So, uh, <laughs> so sure enough, I go up to the meeting was at Irving Azoff's office and I went up and I met Mickey. And, you know, I figured that that was going to be, you know, the meeting was going to be the meeting and that was going to be the height of it, you know. And so by the end of the meeting, he had invited us up to his house. And um, and so sure enough, you know, a week and a half or two weeks later, we were up at his house and, you know, making music and jamming all night and making fires and meeting people. And Bill Walton was over. I mean, it was like a whole thing, you know. So Mm -hmm. it just kind of. You know, uh, evolved. um that band did a tour and ran its course. And after that tour ran its course, Mickey called me up and said, "Hey, um, the story is a little bit more uh, i guess i'll 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 tell the rest of the story now. So I was actually at his house for a a kind of um I'd introduced him to some some percussionists, and we were doing some recording, and his wife had actually Carol had called me to the house and I said, Oh, man, I did I do something? Am I in trouble? You know? So I went to the house and she and Mickey were there, and they said, "Well, you know, wondering if you would want to continue working with Mickey. And I was about to drive from their house to back to LA. And um, of course, I said, yeah, you know, I'm in. And so I left the house and I'd been hired, and that whole ride back from his house to LA, I just remember thinking in my head, like, what just happened?
1: Mm. And
2: um, he really did, you know, aside from being, again, like I'd say my biggest supporter and, and you know, probably might you know, one of my biggest mentors, he, he, you know, he had me involved in everything from Walter Cronkite events to Nancy Pelosi events to Giotto Monks to Vibes for Peace, and he didn't even realize he was turning me into a producer. But he just threw me into all of these things. You know, and, and they were high-profile events. And in addition, during my time with him, we reformed the Rhythm Devils with Bill Kreutzmann and Mike Gordon, um, and had a lot of fun with that. And we reformed the Mickey Hart band, and you know, we we uh, won a Grammy with Global Drum Project. So, you know, when I look back on that time, it's um, it's it's really special. And obviously, I still maintain you know a really positive relationship with with Mickey. I actually. Uh, emailed with him yesterday, and, um, yeah, it's, um, I, I feel honored and blessed to have you come into his orbit and for him to have, have, uh, blessed me with so much kindness.
1: So, but at this time, were was your phone rigging to, for people wanting you to manage them or were you still soliciting?
2: Um, yeah, I think I was soliciting at that time for sure. Yeah, I mean, I needed to to keep growing. And Mickey had introduced me to, to Bill Kreutzman, and so I was managing him for a little while as well while we had the Rhythm Devils um, going. And, and, you know, just, I would say his world took up most of my time, but I was definitely still growing and looking for opportunities, et cetera. And, um, you know, in 2009, you know, when the dead reformed and, and Mickey's project started to take a backseat, it happened to be the same time that I had moved over to, to Frontline um, to work with um, Irving and, and uh, Jared and everybody. So that really uh, worked itself out in an organic way. And, um, and so that's kind of, you know, where the path led me.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. Okay. All right, um, So, and that's led to managing artists like Victoria Justice as well, and that, I brought that up because that leads to a tweet that our engineer, uh, Ashley Weltner, is going to read to
2: you. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's going to be good. It's good. Good luck to you. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right,
0: this is from Maddie. When managing an artist like Victoria Justice, who is transi- who is transitioning from a Nickelodeon-based audience to a more mature fan base... How do you keep it authentic while retaining old fans and garnering new ones?
2: It's <clears throat> a great question, um, and, and and really an eternal question, and something that is you know not just something that Victoria um, I think has to um, address, but that, that really a lot of young um, actors and actresses who are also multi talented and multifaceted uh, have to have to deal with. So. You know, I think that the key word here is is credibility, and and the other key word is timing, and then imaging and aesthetic. Everything. Um, I think that when you're on a TV show, you're playing a character, and so people become very attached to that character. But when you're an artist, people are attached to you as a person and as a as a as a human being, and so those are are slightly different different things and and different you know different mediums and. The key to that transition is getting people to relate to you as a human being and, get, and, and and digging a little deeper beneath the surface to really show people who you are beyond just the character on, on a TV show.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and getting into the artist management part, it, this is sort of interesting. So yesterday I uh, was at the foot doctor, Uh, Because I have plantar fasciitis again. I didn't tell you, Dr. Stable. Oh, wow. Jonathan, a year ago, I had plantar fasciitis in my right heel, and I had to have surgery. So um, the foot started getting weird again. So I went to the doctor's office yesterday. I found out I still have plantar fasciitis. Oh. Different part of the fascia. Painful. Yes, yes. And may the fascia be with you. But the reason I bring up my plantar fasciitis for Jonathan Shank, our great guest on Music Biz 101 and more, is as I'm sitting there, waiting for the doctor to come in over the radio is, why you gotta be so rude? And uh, by the way, you just heard me sing. So please sign me because I'm a great singer. But the band Magic, who you manage. Yeah. Uh, so that came on. And then, even more interesting. So that happened an hour later. I met my daughter's field hockey game. And they are, in their warm-up music, there's a remix of magic's rude playing as well mm. um so wow. twice in like an hour and we're going to talk to the manager the next day i thought that was pretty
2: All right,
0: yeah so it's 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 karma right there but my question for you then that kind of led me to this is so a, a group like magic who had the, the mega hit rude and they haven't um they haven't matched that mega hit status and here's where you can come and say no in 50 different countries, they had this other hit, that. so be quiet. But uh, from the American perspective, they haven't matched that single yet. But can can a song like Rude by a band like Magic or any other band like that, um, where are they making the most money? Is it it from the pros? Is it from uh, sync deals? Is it just from streaming or downloads? Is it indirectly because they're going to get live gigs for the next 25 years? Kind of... Can you walk us through that kind of thing, how one song can potentially make an artist's career?
2: Absolutely. Look, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of what you said is is spot on. Um, I'd say that, that if we're talking strictly about, you know, North America, I can dive into that a little bit, but certainly Magic does have a uh, significant international business and, and footprint, and they've had... Um, uh, three platinum singles in Canada and, and another uh, gold single, so they've had a string of hits in their in their home country of Canada and and a lot of radio activity. So there's a lot of uh, of touring for them available every you know every year there, and beyond that uh, they're going to Japan in in a handful of weeks uh, coming up here, and um, they do well on syncs. Obviously royalties. The song is streamed incredibly well, um, but they also just had a song that came out, uh, you know, this past year that that's also streamed well, called "Kiss Me." Um, obviously, not as nearly as impactful as as "Rude," but um, you know, I think for any any artist that has a song that's that big, it's incredibly difficult to to eclipse it, um, and I think that the there is a, a long tail of of touring and revenue that comes off of just having one song as big as rude i was um... in las vegas this past weekend for a couple of festivals and when i was checking into the hotel at the the mandalay bay "Rude" was on and and so similar to you know to your story i think the song is ubiquitous and whether i'm in hawaii or new orleans or las vegas um, you know the song is is still uh, we refer to it as a pop classic, so mm-hmm. you know, it, it really falls into that that category. And, and in addition to that, um, you know, Nasri is a prolific songwriter and has worked with uh, tons of of amazing artists, from you know Justin Bieber to Jason Derulo, and you know, and then you know, um, Mark, Ben, and and Alex are all you know songwriters and producers in their own right.
0: Mm-hmm. So, as a manager, are you trying to get Nazri, for example, uh, into writing camps, or, or you know, are you trying to introduce him to other people so he can write with others and hopefully get some quality songs and get some additional revenue down the line?
2: Any good writer is always writing,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and 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 he is he is a, um, a one thing one of the many things I love about Nazri is he is one of the hardest working guys that I know. Aside from being incredibly creative, he gets up every morning and he's ready to work. Um, you know, with I, I guess I guess it was about a year ago. Now we linked him up with Alan Stone, and, and he wrote some songs, some songs for Alan. And now um, one of those songs is Alan's single. So yeah, you know, it, we definitely are always out there, you know, trying to uh, protect and encourage our clients, and 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 find new ways for them to get their art out there.
0: Great, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. We have another tweet for you. All right, this one is from Ava. I was curious to know what your unique and creative processes are when guiding artists.
2: What was the first word of my unique and creative processes are? Yeah. Sorry, when when working with or developing artists? Was that the question? When guiding artists. Guiding artists. So... The way that I approach it and look at it is that every every artist is is unique, and if you look at it like the way that you would 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 treat a flower, it's like you know every every, every seed needs a lot of light, you know, sun, water, and love, you know. So it's the same. It's the same with with developing and, and nurturing artists, and I think that um, it's really a balance between. Um, Managing their their business and also understanding their vision and 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 maintaining, you know, not just a positive relationship with, with the artist, but also with everybody else who works with the artist. And and the most successful projects are the ones that carry synergy and and promote teamwork. And so, you know, I'm always trying to um, encourage. Those things and and I would say that um, you know beyond that you know I really am able to you know combine what I would call you know passion and, and I still love going to live shows and and seeing live music and um, you know and, and interacting I still get excited by music and you know balancing that with understanding how to move down the chessboard and be honest and realistic with artists about how to um... how to get them to the place they want to be and, and setting expectations and um... i would just say the final thing is is that um... I have an incredible team here at red light that i'm super grateful for and they always make every day brighter for me and help me to understand how to move things forward and hopefully i'm helping them understand you know a, a, a lot about the, the business as well but you know, no, nothing can be lifted up with a singular effort. Everybody needs great, you know, people to, to help them lift something up. And and so, you know, I really am, am grateful for the people that I work with here um, on my team and, um, and also, you know, uh, my partners like, you know, Corin, who have just um, been incredibly supportive and, uh, um, you know, Try, you know, to encourage me, even when I'm coming up with left-of-center ideas and things that they may have no idea what I'm talking about. So, you know, just um, I would say that those are the those are the things that that um, are are unique. And um, in terms of, of creativity, it's really just understanding the aesthetic, and and you know, trying to share a vision. And empower that vision for the artist. I'd say that's the most, one of the most important things is understanding how to lock into what an artist wants to do, and then empowering that.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow! Great. Okay. And uh, we we're going to get in a sec back to uh, Red Light, but in the structure of Red Light. But we do have another tweet that we want to read to you. This one is from Randy. What is the biggest reality check artists and bands need to know when signing with management and labels?
2: <clears throat> okay, that's a good question. Um, okay, reality check. Um, whatever label or manager is offering you a deal, always have a lawyer look it over. Don't ever just sign something that's put in front of you because you think it's a good idea or you think it's a good deal. Always have it. Reviewed by a reputable entertainment attorney or counsel, so that you know exactly what you're getting into. Um, I would say my other advice is meet with more than one person, meet with more than one label, meet with more than one manager, you know you you know he used he or she used the word check. you know, I would say I would also use that word, you know, check the people that you, and I don't mean necessarily in a background check kind of way, but like Check the people that you're, you're meeting with. See you know, uh, see if, if what they're saying checks out with, with somebody else that you meet with. Or gain both perspectives and see which one may work better for you. Um, and I guess the final thing I'll say is that if something sounds too good to be true, it probably mm-hmm. is.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So uh, you do work with a red light management. Can you explain sort of the theory when and the And you keep mentioning, by the way, is Corin Capshaw, mm-hmm. who created red light management. He's Dave Matthews manager. And back in ninety one or so, uh, they never heard of him. Yeah, he's just yeah. some dude. Uh, a, 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 and one of our um, uh, adjuncts. Ad, adjuncts here and, and friends is Aaron Van Dyne. I don't know if you've ever met or heard of Aaron. He's the business manager for Dave Matthews. and he and and Corin are very very close of course um excellent yeah yeah so uh red light manage yeah red light management what if
1: somebody go what what is red light management what would you say and and if uh, it's was the model front lines model
2: no the model is completely corin's model and and Uh um i i would say that um wow this is a high pressure question my goodness uh Let's see. I, I would say that what defines Red Light for me is, is that it has a fiercely independent spirit. It's full of incredibly um, astute and well-rounded people that come from different different genres of of, of the business and of, of, of music. Um, the the model is very much that um, you know everybody who is here has you know, depending on what genre your artists fall into, has a certain amount of, of support and resources. And, um, you know, Red Light's done an incredible job of curating, um, you know, of betting on people, you know. And, and, and to me that always, always uh, shines through because, um, you know, it, it, people that are, are committed to having, you know, uh, music be their career, Um, are few and far between. So, you know, I could say that that the commonality that we all share here at Red Light is that we all love what we do. And that's, um, you know, I would say that the the culture that's been created here and the model.
1: And and the culture at Frontline?
2: Was incredibly positive as well. I mean, it it was... More uh, top-down or...? Um, yeah, yeah, I I think so. I mean, but also... um, yeah also you know incredibly supportive but it was more the, the model at frontline was more that um there was independent management companies that were under the umbrella mm-hmm. and they all they all operate you know so um there there was you know different pods so to speak and so um you know i would say that that was the it was a you know a roll up so to speak of management companies um and yeah, but um, again, same thing. Incredibly well-rounded, smart people that are uh, most of which are still, you know, in this business and very successful. And um, and Irving was always also very supportive of, you know, the the artists and the platforms that I wanted to pursue. So, you know, super uh, grateful to have had, you know, worked with both of these, you know, um, incredible. Um, you know, icons in our business.
0: Mm -hmm. So for our listeners, uh, you need to look up Irving Azoff. You need to look up Red Light Management. You need to look up Corin C-O-R-A-N, Capshaw. And then uh, we have about two minutes left, so we want to get into the final thing is you are are an executive producer of American Idol, the live tour, and I probably have your title wrong. Can you explain, you know, what you do with the American Idol shows and um, how you got connected there?
2: Yeah. So, just to, to to clarify, I am the uh, executive in charge of, of management of, of talent management for American Idol. So, um, when when Idol came to um, to ABC, um, I was offered the opportunity to uh, to get involved, and it's been an amazing journey thus far through these first two seasons, and um, you know, just some have met some incredible people and some incredible talent, and, um, you know, I really, the, the scope of the job is that I get to know the talent um, and, and the artists about six months before the, um, the show, the finale of the show, before the winners announced, and so um, it's, it's a process of getting to know them and seeing, you know, kind of weeding out and figuring out who the real artists are and, and who has a, a chance to um, to be successful in this, in this business, you know, and I always say it's the music business. It's two words. Music is only one of the words. You have to also be good at the business. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, you know, I think that, that those are things that, and, and I think that for, for the, the artists that are on American Idol, it's like a boot camp. Um, I would say that the most, you know, we're really proud of the work that that's been happening since we've been involved with Idol. And um, we're super excited about um, an artist named Scary Pool Party, um, who was on the show last season and um, has just been catching uh, lightning in a bottle on on um, on many you know many levels. But has you know sold out his tours and and uh, just continues to grow. He'll be on Austin City Limits Festival next weekend, and mm-hmm. um, he's just an absolutely unique and incredible talent that we feel like is going to be a uh, festival and, and, uh, a festival attraction and also a headliner, uh, in all kinds of venues, um, in, in the coming months and years. So super excited about him. And the girl that won, uh, last season, uh, two seasons ago is, is going out on tour with Ingrid Michelson and has now had, um, two songs at Hot AC Radio and, uh, you know, really proud of that. And, um, you know, Red Light's had some success with a couple of the, the uh, artists that are in the country space, Gabby Barrett and, and Lane Hardy, and so you know we're, you know, we're really um, finding some some nice um, opportunities and credibility for these artists and lifting them up and really feel like that they are, you know, that these artists have have true careers in front of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great. We actually have yeah. to stop because. The, the hour keeps, is up. Yes. And we could, I could do another hour with Jonathan. Sure. But, um. Wow. Yeah. Jonathan say, well, I, I would not do it. another hour with them, but. Yeah. But, oh, uh,
2: please. I'd be happy, happy to. Was, well, this That's has really been great. Fun.
0: Yeah, this has been great. I mean, you answered some
1: Have really ever good questions. you talked about Peppy Pig? Peppa. Peppa Pig.
0: <laughs> Peppy Pig is the That's Spanish cool. version, I guess. Yes. Of,
1: but Peppa Pig, <laughs>
0: yes. Peppa Pig, right. <laughs> It's a Pepe Le Pew. Actually, that would be the French version. Pepe oh, yeah. Le Pew and Pepe right. Pig got back together, so that would be nice. So um, Jonathan Sheck of uh, Red Light Management and um, Senior Manager and Executive Producer at Red Light Management. Did I get that right?
2: Yes, perfect. There we go. All Thank right. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for being All on right. music. Thank one and more.
0: Thanks. Bye-bye.
2: A pleasure. Thanks. Jonathan Sheck! Jonathan Sheck! Woo! That was I good.
0: He's in relation to... Samantha Shank, who used to go to the University of William Patterson. And she's at. Is she, she at Cobalt or Song Trust? Song Trust? Song Trust. Probably not. She should check her uh, tweets and. Right. Music Biz 101. Could have and, asked and him. Wars. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. So, um, Ashley, we want to thank you very much. Did you get anything out of this interview, Ashley? They're
1: both from Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, Ashley's nodding up and down. That's her way of saying just shut up and please end the show. So, uh, we want to thank Dr. Stable and thank you for being on the show.
1: And my co host, of course, that carries the weight. On your shoulders. Carry that weight, Professor David Kirk Philp. Next sorry, sorry. week's show
0: is Michael Kelly from the UTR Agency in oh, Texas, boy. which is actually uh, independent uh, artist, uh, uh, independent agents, and but they're really cool. They have some really cool uh, artists, and um, including coming. speaking of American Idol, Bo Bice, who is on American. Yes. Idol, one of the artists they represent coming by shows. Skype. He will be uh, calling by phone. Oh. Yeah. But uh, that'll be good. And then uh, the week after that, a huge show, uh, Joe Riccatelli, co-president of RCA Records, will live? be in the studio with us. He, <gasps> yes. So we'll, we'll uh, do an Instagram I live on vacuum. that. have to vacuum. Yes. Well, I definitely have to vacuum <laughs> our homes. So thank you very much for listening, those of you who are listening. Thank you for uh, just everything, because you're so, so great. We love you so much. So at the end of every show, do we say hello? Yes. No, we don't. Oh. You know what we say at the end of every show? And Ashley will join with us, and she's going to put the whole mic right next to her mouth as she screams as loud as she can.